Hi, this is Panel Beater and this is the podcast of Triple R's Radiotherapy, a weekly radio show dedicated to health, medicine and well-being. Broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia every Sunday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via Radiotherapy's Facebook page. This is Miss Perry Neum, and I'm joined in the studio today by CyberSuze, who is pressing all the buttons and doing an amazing job. So she might be a little bit quiet today as she's working through that process. Um, how are we, Suze? I am absolutely excellent on the outside. <laughs> <laughs> We're powering through. We've got a really interesting show for you today. We thought we'd break the mould, and instead of doing news, after both Suze and I were wowed by the news in the um, this week with the woman who had a worm in her brain, we both had this comment of, God, the body's weird. And we've both had some really interesting experiences where we had different things happen to us where we just didn't know it was a possibility. So today we thought, why not bring to you some stories of the weird and the wonderful things that the body does? And we're talking, instead of just medicine, we've got some fabulous guests. We have... Dr. Well, Dr. Raul, I'm going to pronounce your last name wrong because I suck. Um, and he is an orthodontist who's joined us. He's working in Wagga Wagga and in Melbourne. So he's in studio today to talk us all weird and wonderful things about teeth. And then we have John Osborne, who is a podiatrist based in Melbourne. Um, and he is going to talk to us all weird and wonderful things about feet. Because why not? We're starting top and tail of the body. We're going to go and a little heads. bit in between a as well. Bit in I between. think. Yeah. So I thought we might start today with a fun story of of mine, which is we're going to talk about a condition which I actually experienced as a fifteen year old called a wandering appendix. So it's a very odd condition, and I was told delightfully back then when it happened to me that it happens in one in a half a million cases of appendicitis. But I was 15 and I had a really sore stomach and I ended up going into hospital. They were looking for appendicitis. They, they couldn't find it. They did an ultrasound. They couldn't find it. And they ended up going in to do expository surgery, which is not uncommon with appendicitis when they can't see it on ultrasound. And they went hunting and hunting and hunting. And lo and behold, my appendix had actually twisted off from the cecum, which is where it sits on the ascending part of the colon wandered itself over to the other part of my colon which goes down towards the rectum and had started leaching blood off it and so they had to cut out part of my bowel to be able to get this appendix out which had basically decided to go for a walk inside my body and it's a really rare condition where an organ can basically transplant itself across body lines and start leaching blood in a different way. Ooh, I know. That's weird. It's so odd. Yeah. And the guy who did it was, well, he was a surgeon at the time. Shout out to him. He was probably well into his 70s and he came in he goes, well, you finally ticked one off my list. I've never had this before. Oh, that is so great. <laughs> he was wrapped. He was like, this is good. I've, I've ticked one of the bucket list items. And off. it's so funny because you're the one that you, you know that for them it's really exciting. Exactly. Yeah. And I had been saying to people, but the pain's on the wrong side. It can't be appendicitis. The funny thing, caveat to this, was that it happened. Shout out to all my dancing girls because the day before so I had had this happen, I it was the the weekend of state championship dancing and I had to get to rehearsal. So 
I went to our pre-state championships rehearsal and tried to do our practice and passed out twice while I was dancing and all of my teammates said to me, wouldn't it be really funny if you just don't show up for the competition tomorrow? Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> Lo and behold, next morning I'm in the hospital having emergency oh surgery. Yeah. Well, it goes to show that you don't, you know, you don't do things in halves and they no. should take you seriously when you're kind of passing out. Yeah, mm. yeah it's a good idea. Medically, we would recommend mm. that, that if you are passing out, seek mm. some medical attention. Mm. But you had a really interesting experience recently with an odd condition that you'd never heard of. Well, I did. And the funny thing is, is that it kind of got everybody really excited as well and yeah. um, like oh I've never heard of this before but um yeah what happened to me is I was heading up to every year in the winter we head up with the family up to the snow and this year we decided to go up to Mansfield instead of mm. um instead of Bright and we're driving up there and anyway all's well middle of the night first night there I wake up sometime in the middle of the night with this awful pain in my eye and it's just terrible and I try and look at my phone to see what time it is and I cannot I'm completely photophobic I can't see a thing mm. and um, it was terrible so then I'm saying to Siri Siri what time is it and it couldn't understand my New Zealand accent under the blanket <laughs> and so it was saying all this weird stuff to me and so I had no idea what the time was I had to just get through the night mm. until the sun came up couldn't see had to have my eye completely covered and it was really excruciating pain in my eye mm. I assumed it was conjunctivitis. I went to, but it was really painful. So I thought, well, I'd better go and actually try and get, see if I should get some more hardcore kind of eye drops. So I went to the urgent care centre. I went first thing like they suggested. They said, go before everybody else gets here. We'll get you in and out. Two hours later, and I realised I was a Category 4, um, you know, zero priority with everybody else coming in. And I thought, I'll just go home. End of the day, and it was still and painful my eye and so I went down to the pharmacist to get some drugs and luckily or some eye drops and luckily um, someone in the pharmacy overheard me it was the end of the day and she said why don't you go down and see the optometrist down the road and honestly this is the weirdest thing but I've never thought about going to see an optometrist for, mm. other than getting my eyes checked for my vision yeah. and what I learned from this experience is that they are amazing for eyes Health practitioners, <laughs> health funnily practitioners. enough. Exactly right. And um, anyway, so she was amazing. So she, she asked me these strange questions. She said, well, when did you drive up here? And I said, yesterday. Did you stop along the way? Yes. Were you near any grasses? And I said, well, yes, because I've got my old dog who's in the studio today, Jazz. Mm-hmm. She's 16 and she kind of has needs frequent toilet stops. And so I had stopped. We, hopefully we're good for the next hour, by the way. <laughs> but, um, you know, as um, as we're driving up, and I have to get her off on the side of the road to do wheeze, and I'm crouched down. She's blind and deaf, so I'm crouched in the grasses to kind of beckon her to get back in the car. And Jess, and Jess, Jess Martin, the optometrist, she said, yeah, that makes sense. I reckon I know what you've got. You've got Christmas eye. Who would have thought? I Christmas know, eye? I know. And Christmas in August. I mean, Christmas in July. <laughs> And it's a weird way to celebrate Christmas yeah, as far as I'm well, concerned. Well, I can tell you it wasn't very jolly. <laughs> yeah. And so basically what happens is that this um, – it's also known as Harvester's Eye or um, Aubrey Wodonga. Um, it's specific to the region of northeast Victoria or southwest um, mm-hmm. New South Wales, so that region. Um, it's usually around Christmas, New Year. It's not very well researched. Um, when you try and find out about it, there's not much you can find out about it. Mm. But essentially it's this tiny little beetle and it's like less than a millimetre. Um, I didn't even feel the beetle. Um, but it goes in, when it goes in your eye, um, when, the, when the beetle gets crushed either under your eyelid or when you're rubbing your eye or something, it excretes a um, toxin. Ooh. And the toxin ulcerates your cornea. 
And that's exactly what happened. So I had a full sickness um, ulcer through the cornea of my eye. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And um, so it's if you're going up that region, bear it in mind. I mean, at least I was able to... Figure See it out fun. and deal with it. See but if it, happened to, it can happen to animals, it can happen to kids, and um, it would be just horrendous. Yeah. And how long did it take to recover? So, um, so, so Jess was amazing, and she she saw me twice a day, and she put me on hourly um, um, cortisone drops and anti antibiotic drops, and I had to walk around for the next three or four days with basically my hand and my eye and my head. She didn't give you a pirate patch? No, <laughs> the pirate patch didn't work because I tried, I tried it, um, but it put too much pressure on the eye. Yeah, it just right. Was, and so I had my hat pulled down over my eye and um, it ruined the holiday. It wasn't much fun. Like I couldn't see a thing and I looked like a complete freak walking around. Um, but yeah, and it recovered relatively quickly. Like So then it looked also, the vision was for quite a few days, it was like I was looking through through Vaseline, um, you know, like I couldn't have been seen across to, to you guys a, a metre away from me. Um, but by the next week, I was kind of, I came back down to Melbourne, I went to the Royal Iron Air. They were all very interested and they were all Googling it and looking up Wikipedia as, you know, medical That's really what you, that's what you want from your doctors when they're sitting there on Wikipedia going, I've never heard of this, exactly. this is great. It was so funny because I'd walk into their room and then I'd see Wikipedia open on their screen <laughs> looking it up. But anyway, so it was educational and um, eventually all's better now. There you go. Yeah. What an experience though. Yeah, no, it was, it was, yeah. There you go. Yeah. I think we're going to pop to some station announcements and then we're going to come back with John Osborne, who's going to talk all weird and wonderful things with feet. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. To find out more about Triple R or to explore many more shows, podcasts, articles, videos, and interviews, head to the Triple R website at rrr.org.au. I have the lovely John Osborne sitting next to me, who's going to be talking all things feet. John is an experienced sports podiatrist and he was the first podiatrist in Australia to successfully earn the Certificate of Sports Podiatry Credential and awarded it in the Australian Podiatry Association. He's currently competing his PhD at La Trobe University about the role of muscle strength in the plantar heel pain, which we will probably talk to him about because I also find that very interesting. His website, The Agile Foot, has a blog that talks all things feet and gives lots of really interesting um, insight into the mechanics of the foot and how it can affect the body. Um, and under the same name, his Instagram always has lots of fun facts. I'm constantly amazed at all the things that he pops on there about feet that I had no idea about, and that's me as a physio. So, John, tell us. There's more to feet than fungus. Yeah. <laughs> You've been holding on to that for a while. <laughs> uh, yeah, there is. There is. I, I think we underestimate the foot. Like if we, when we think about it in that broad context, um, it's yeah. a chunk of meat that sits at the end of the ankle. But in reality, you know, you've got 33 joints sitting down there. Uh, we think of the knee as one joint as being complex. But when you think of 33 of them all moving in three directions, not just one, um, it does. It becomes a, a really fascinating thing. Yeah. Yeah. Tell Thing, us. They're actually things. Two feet. Two, Two feet. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Two yeah, feet. Correct. Yeah. yeah. And tell us, what's the weirdest thing you've come across? 
What's the what's the weirdest thing I've come across? See, this is really funny. You're talking to a guy that looks at feet uh, all day. So yeah. in that in its own right, it's probably weird. <laughs> it is. It is. Yeah. I mean, I would, can, am I allowed to backtrack that question by yeah, go one for it. while you think about the weirdest thing? <laughs> I think it's weird that you became a podiatrist. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to say, and I'm just going to put it out there between you and me in the studio. <laughs> Why? Like, what is it that you went through university and, I don't know, you studied sciences or whatever you did? What made you decide to become a podiatrist? Uh, it was uh, honestly, it was chance. Um, uh-huh. So I I'd finished a, a, a dance career uh-huh. um, or a performing arts career, which was not as successful as my podiatry career, um, and then went um, went back to uni, unsure whether I wanted to do medicine or physio. Um, and then through the, my sort of first year of, of, of the degree. The, the, I went and had a chat to the university and they said, well, why don't you consider doing podiatry? Um, and I just went, oh, look, why not? Prepared to say yes at everything and anything. Um, and then fell into it and enjoyed it. So it was it is purely chance. And what's interesting um, about that is that your background in dance means that you understand the foot and the importance of the foot a lot more, I imagine, than our average people. We don't even think about it as we're walking around. So that has to make a big difference to your practice. Yeah, look, I think so. Um, I think if we sort of take that, you know, quite serious slant for a sec. But, yeah, I suppose, like, it's um, – I've – I suppose in some respect I've always been a, a barefoot athlete, right? Mm. Um, so then I – whereas we, we put podiatry in this box of – if we're just talking about musculoskeletal conditions, we put it in this box of shoes and foot orthoses or orthotics mm. um, and we put it in this box of really limiting circumstances. I suppose coming from a background of, well, I owned a gym and did strength and conditioning coaching for seven years, which again probably leans into my PhD a bit. But, um, you know, when you come from that background, it maybe it helps just see it from a wider perspective. But I, I imagine that's for every every. From a clinical point of view, like I see people with foot conditions as well and caveat, John and I work together. So we we do see people that I cross-refer to him Mm. a lot. But they're always – when I start to teach foot exercises, people are always wowed. They're like, I didn't know my foot could do that. Like you can train your pinky toe to move up and down in isolation. I'm practising it as we speak. But like people (laughs) – I have people who literally have had zero awareness of how their foot actually yeah. moves and functions and then you get them doing these really specific exercises and they go, I can spread my toes and do all of these amazing things. <laughs> the and, and it's their new party <laughs> trick. It's their favourite thing to do. And I wonder how many people listening are doing that. As, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> They're going, can I do it? Can I stretch my little pinky toe? Because it, it is a very odd sensation when you haven't, devoted any cognitive time to trying to move something individually like how conscious are you of how my elbow moves at any point in the day no you just reach for things and you do do it but when you've got an issue there and then trying to to figure out how that works when you've never thought about it before is really hard yeah oh because we they, they just move yeah you know, they we, do. We stand usually. and we just move. We just mm-hmm. go straight over the top of them. Mm-hmm. So, which is a wonderful thing, and they should do that. Yeah. Right? But people forget the foot. I mean, you spend mm. your entire life relying on it. How many bones are in the foot? Oh, you've caught me now. Oh, the podiatrist who didn't prepare. Oh, oh. Thirty-three joints. 33 it's about twenty-something. Twenty-eight. Twenty-eight bones. Something like that. <sighs> Come on. One, two, one, two, three. <laughs> uh, Sorry. Five, Eight tarsals. Lots. 
Oh, I'm going to make a guess. A lot, enough. 27, I think. 20, that'll do. No one's going to go and count them, so you're oh, all good with that. Google yeah, they are. Up, like, I've got no idea. We'll, yeah. we'll, we'll, they'll SMS us. We'll, we'll get back to you, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> so, 26. I was pretty go. close. There you close. go. So, other than, like, one. the odd, you know, ingrown toenail or a bunion, what can go wrong in the foot? Well, again, like we come back to 26 bones, a lot mm. can go wrong in the foot. So it's not just a chunk of meat at the end of the ankle. Um, I think you guys, are, we're, we're talking about odd things, mm. right? So I sort of went, you know what, well, what, what about something that's a really odd name? And something that always gives me a giggle is when people present with lederhose disease. Now, when that mm-hmm. happens... I immediately get Bavarian tunes exactly. going on inside cheese my head. Exactly, ca- flying cheesecake and things. Lederhose disease. So, lederhose disease is closely related to heel pain. So, ten percent of the population will have heel pain, um, and you get little plantar fibromas. So, they're little fibros or little thickened bits of tissue that sit inside. Let's call it a ligament that sits underneath the bottom of the length of your foot. Um, now, you poke those little those little inflama- or those not inflammations, those little hardened lumps, and that's quite sore and tender. Mm. Um, and they can happen across a range. Now, I've got similar versions on other parts of my body, mm. um, and then, but then they can manifest themselves in and around the foot. They can continue to manifest. They can stop. Um, but I think lederhose disease it really gives me a, a, a just that's gives so me a giggle odd. every time I hear the name. And it must have been invented by. A- Gentleman, I'm assuming, and Lederhose. It has to be a Dr. Lederhose, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, it's... Well, he was, wearing, he was well known for wearing Lederhose. <laughs> Can you imagine yeah. having surgery? <laughs> I'm Lederhose scrubs. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, look, in the foot we get a lot named after people. You know, yeah. Even Sever's disease, it sounds like you're about to lose a mm, foot. It does. Yeah. But for the average 8 to 12-year-old, that's really their version of a growth plate heel pain. Yeah. And it's really um, common. We, and hugely common. Yeah, we treat so many patients with Severs mm. disease and they... And that's one we work together on yeah. a lot. And they come in thinking that they've ruptured an Achilles or that their whole foot's being torn off their body. And it's mm. it's a really common experience of how mm. bones mature with age and how the body's really bad sometimes at keeping up with itself. So either the the bones aren't growing fast enough or the bones are growing too fast and... Kids getting really, really tall really fast. I always say to my patients, if they've gone up two shoe sizes in six months, watch out because it's <laughs> it's a coming. Either their heel yeah. or their knee, something's yeah, coming right. mm. as a kid. And and it's always bang on and it's nighttime. These poor kids at night, they just can't sleep. They're so sore. Yeah, they're really sore. Yeah. And it's always the bigger, the more active kid. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean the, the tendency now is to stop calling it Severs disease because of the the Sounds trauma awful. that it comes with. Mm, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm, mm. It's, you know what, it's either calcaneal apophysitis, which is probably not that much better. No, but that sounds, that sounds very pain. weird. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and kids. John, you mentioned before that briefly that you're doing a PhD. Is that something weird and wonderful? Um, it is. It, it, oh, I it think is to it the, is. It, it is, is to us, I can tell well, you. Yeah, well, it is yeah. to a lot of people. So my PhD looks at muscles in the foot. So, again, this chunk of meat at the end of the ankle, if you go out and rehab a lot of things, it's you'll get one extreme or the other. So you'll either get only calf rises, and that seems to that's the only solution we've got for, you know, for the foot, or it's the other extreme where we're doing – we're incredible, weird and wonderful toe yoga type stuff. Yeah. So my PhD sort of focuses, has initially focused on looking at whether um, 
just at heel pain and, and the role that muscle strength has in heel pain and whether or not there's an association to that or not. Um, we've just finished public, we're about to publish a paper look, which provides some different exercise programs based on what experts have told us. And I've just come back from Queensland with um, an EMG study where we've put everyone through all of those exercises. So all through all the toe yoga, through a range of calf raises, and we've added in a couple of extra tweaks ourselves to see what produces the most load and what has the most muscle activation. For those, so we, for those out there, EMG is an electrical-based study that looks at how a muscle contracts. We it. stick a needle in your yeah. muscles of your foot and legs. Ooh, so we went for not 10. As, it's not as mean as it sounds. sounds awful. It sounds horrible, but yeah. it's not so bad. They're so like very acupuncture tiny. needles. It's like, it's like acupuncture. Yeah. 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 So we do that, and then you do an exercise, and then it gives an electrical current or an electrical signal back, and then we measure that signal. Um, but collectively what that result will tell us is we can say, okay, well, if you're doing an exercise, A, what muscles are active while you're doing it? But importantly, and, and what is almost more important, how much torque or how much load or how much effort is required mm. to be able to do that exercise, which if we go from a rehab perspective, mm. um, that's a really important thing to understand because not only do you want the muscle active, but we need to be able to load it. So, yeah, there you go. That's my PhD in a very quick elevator pitch. Nice. You were telling me a little bit before about a very odd case that came up in the age last year mm. of an infected toenail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't don't neglect your infected toenail. Yeah. So PSA, see a podiatrist. Just letting you know, because otherwise you can end up with an amputation. So um, there was a case in. Does sound severe. It is for 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 what you. I mean, it's just Mm. a you know an ingrown toenail, right? Mm. And then the stories you hear of people pulling out a Dremel or pulling out pliers or oh. I've heard all of it. Stanley knows. Oh. Um, I can totally cop to this when I was dancing. <laughs> a friend of mine, I was an Irish dancer for those who, um, you know, just to be super weird. And we wear fiberglass shoes. And, and that's weird too. Super weird. Yeah. But I had one of my dancing friends got trod on by a fiberglass heel and her toenail fell off or half fell off and we were at a dance competition. It was driving her mad. So I took – a pair of nail tweezers and yeah. literally cut away oh. her toenail. Oh, that's—I mean, that's—that's that's all bad. That is all bad. Hey, we—we we, she got up there and she did state championships mm. and she got second. So Ice. you know, worth it in the end. But, Ooh, but but tell us about this infection. Like, how does that go from an infected toenail to? So it's—I mean, you basically end up with a cellulitis or a sepsis, right? Mm. So mm. the infection that starts is something that looks initially quite small, mm-hmm. if you just don't go out and deal with it, then that infection just runs up the leg. And sometimes they can be really hard to treat, and especially when they're fungal, like, you know. Well, particularly because it's a 16-year-old boy who doesn't want to have it dealt with, right? Mm. Or tell so then, anyone. And I think yeah. in that case, there was one in the UK I was uh, looking at in 2019, again, publicised in the paper, where a 14-year-old girl, and they just don't want to, they're too scared or they don't want to go out and talk about it, and that's okay. Oh, got you know, I, totally to I also understand the boy in that regard because what 16-year-old doesn't have stinky feet? Yes. And one of the hallmark signs of cellulitis and infection is smell. Oh, uh, yeah. I will never forget my, one of my first placements. I was on an aged care ward and we had a patient who had gout and had lost a toe. Yeah. You never forget the smell of gout mm. with a with So a I have toe. no sense of smell. Mm. Oh. Well, very, very that's tiny helpful. It's kind of helpful. That is really excellent. I did. I was, I was doing a placement as, as a student on a on a vascular ward, and I'm following this abs, this volcano of, of of doctors following this one vascular surgeon who's incredible, mm. and then all of a sudden this 
now now change an, an um, analogy about the tsunami of doctors comes back towards me and I'm like, oh, I don't know what's going on, but I'll just keep walking forwards anyway because he seems to be at the front of this queue, so I'll just keep on and they're all flooding away and there's just me, the little student podiatrist standing there, this giant vascular surgeon um, and he goes, how come you're here? Because you're here? I want to uh, learn. He goes, what, you can't smell that? I'm like, oh, no. No, I cannot. And he pulls away the, oh. the sheet and quite literally this poor person's foot was falling out of the wound. Oh. So you could see you could see the anatomy really clearly. Mm. Um, it was horrific for that person. Mm. And to have all the people turn around mm. and run away from you too, mm. I mean, that's horrific. That but is harsh. I've had something a little bit like well. that when I did the 100K. You know the 100K Oxfam walk? Yes. And, um, I finished, <laughs> I, yeah, and I finished that. And had a nasty, nasty blister on my foot that my sister very kindly took off my shoe and then had to cut the massive piece of flesh mm. off from around the blister, went to sleep, slept for 16 hours or something ridiculous <laughs> after an event like that. It's like 100 k yeah. you do it in like 24 hours or something. And then um, anyway, when I woke up in the morning, it was a bit like your patient. I took off the sheet and I nearly, I was gagging with the smell of my foot. Yeah. It eventually got better, but yeah, not mm. fun. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. Triple R is listener-supported radio and receives no direct government funding. If you would like to financially support Triple R by donating or becoming a subscriber, hit up the Triple R website to find out how. We have had the great pleasure of having the very esteemed John, our podiatrist, John Osborne. So thank you, John, for being on. The, thank you, John, for being on the show. It's been really great to yeah, talk my to pleasure. you. It's been yeah. fun. Yeah. It's yeah. A, it's I, I have to say, fun. as a physio, I work with podiatrists and particularly John a lot, and I, I can't function without him. <laughs> so <laughs> it's something that is so underrated. Absolutely. Because people always forget just how much podiatrists know they yeah. do this incredibly long degree all focused on the feet and they're a really nuanced part of the body and they're really really important well we rely on them we stand on them they hold us up there's 26 bones i think it's, it's extraordinary yeah. i think there's it's worth we're talking about things we don't know about mm. we talked about the you know optometrists for example and, and, and dentists are another example and so on but even understanding that podiatrists, a lot of us have an endorsement for scheduled medicines now as well. Mm, yeah. okay. So we can prescribe medications where required. So look, it is. It's a, it is a really, it is an important function. Absolutely. And they can be a useful group of people to go to as, as primary care specialists and yeah. take some of that pressure off. Yeah. Mm, if, you've, if you've got anything wrong below your ankle joint, even anything below your knee as far as I'm concerned, go and see a podiatrist because nine times out of ten they've got way more cue, like clue yeah. than your GP or your physio. Because they're specialists. And yeah. it's, like, it's like, as you say, with the story of the optometrist, is think more outside the box of who exactly. who is the experts in these conditions. Exactly. Well, we're going to talk the other end of the body now. So, Dr. Raul Mascarenas has joined us up from Wagga Wagga today. What an effort to be in studio with us. Have you come down especially? Uh, look, I, I do a little bit of work over in Melbourne at the, the Royal Dental Hospital as well. So, thanks for, thanks for having me along today. Yeah. It's lovely to be here. So, Raul graduated from Adelaide University with his Bachelor of Dentistry and he completed his Doctorate of Clinical Dentistry through the University of Melbourne where he specialises in orthodontics. He's published a number of papers and awarded a fellowship by the Royal Australasian College of Dental Surgeons. 
He's worked in many different settings, including teaching, but currently splits his time between private orthodontics in Wagga Wagga and as a consultant orthodontist at the Royal Dental Hospital of Melbourne, which, can I just say, I actually didn't know we had a Royal Dental Hospital. Oh, there you go. It's um, Look, uh, within the public uh, sector of dentistry, that's probably one of the go-to places uh, in that they've got uh, access to the entire range of uh, dental specialty services in Victoria. So they do just about everything from uh, uh, restoration of teeth and fillings and uh, cleans up to far more complex treatment now, all in one place. I have to say I have a special interest in the teeth because I... One of my areas of interest is I work on the jaw. But that came from my honours degree where I actually looked, funnily enough... I started my honours degree in testicle research. Right. Just as you do. <laughs> yeah. But the hormone that I happen to be looking at called Activin plays a role in determining the teeth topography as we develop. And so I had this general understanding of how that developed and it also if you're deficient in it causes cleft palate which I think is a really interesting condition how the mouth actually develops and forms if you've never seen it go and have a google on youtube because there's some really amazing embryo videos of how the facial structure develops because we basically everyone thinks we're a little tadpole but the face actually develops from basically the ears back and joins in the center yeah and it's very odd to watch but tell us a little bit about some of the odd things you've seen in your practice well even with the cleft lips and palate absolutely right during that uh, sort of process of embryogenesis there's all of these millions of uh, sort of things uh, happening and sometimes when things sort of fall out of whack there that's when when processes and things that are supposed to fuse don't fuse the way they should that's where we have things like uh, cleft, lift, cleft lips and palates developing and they they can have some fairly significant consequences obviously on the development of the face mm. and uh, on the development of the teeth as well and over here in Melbourne and in Victoria we're very lucky to have some fantastic teams out at the uh, the Royal Children's Hospital as well as over at the Monash Children's Hospital dealing with this and uh, it's it's incredible the work they do it's quite a, a an interdisciplinary approach to management of these where you've got your plastic surgeons you've got your mix facial surgeons, uh, you know, speech therapists, you've got dentists, paediatric dentists and orthodontists and, and, and even ENT surgeons all involved uh, with these children right from uh, even before they're born all the way up uh, into their often... Because it is 20s. something that they can see in utero. I remember my daughter, we had an ultrasound scan at 20 weeks and one of the things that they're actually checking for is for cleft lift and cleft palate because they can. the ultrasounds are good enough now that you can actually see these things as they are developing. So you, they can know whether a child's going to need help. It makes me so sad that in the third world country we're so blessed to have access to sort of regimented checking of these kinds of things because, as you said, the consequences for them down the line of you know, facial structure, of speech, of communication, of things like eating, really basic human rights that people don't think about how much communicating to other people is a fundamental part of their day. And when that's interrupted, it's it's really sort of changes someone's whole worldview. Absolutely. And, I mean, the, the implications of these things, if they're not managed well, uh, include your 
basic sort of functional needs right from as as an infant the ability to feed and so forth and then as you mature your ability to communicate and it also comes along with the the psychosocial complications with that and so sometimes where you've got these instances of cleft lips and palates there'll be uh, some of the initial repair work done quite often within the first few months of life and then as you go along because you've had this sort of uh, failure of the various processes within the face to fuse correctly, quite often it can significantly disrupt the way the teeth come through. And in those areas where you do have this cleft, sometimes the teeth don't develop there at all, or sometimes they're quite severely uh, displaced. And so along the way, quite often there'll be various uh, interventions by dentists earlier on and by orthodontists and paediatric dentists to help care for these teeth, to help bring these teeth through. There'll be various sort of procedures involved with the grafting and uh, placement of bone in some of these cleft defects for teeth to come through. And then often as uh, these children grow, there may be discrepancies in terms of how the actual jaws grow. And so later on in life, uh, they may need jaw procedures or orthognathic surgery to help reposition the, the jaw so that they've got a functional uh, bite uh, once the jaws have uh, finished growing. You said before that... Um You've seen patients where the teeth have been moved around the mouth or things like that. How often do you see patients that have teeth in weird spots? Well, uh, very often. And <laughs> and I guess it comes with the territory. It's where a weird spot for us. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> How far are we talking? Where do they wander to? <laughs> well, they, they, can, they can really, really want to. In fact, just, just last week or, or a couple of weeks ago, I saw uh, one young patient who had a, uh, a supernumerary tooth or an extra tooth that uh, had grown. And it had grown right in the middle of the palate. And when oh. we, we had a look at the x-ray and I... I it was really pouring over it because it had not not only grown right in the middle of the palate, but it had grown upside down. And so as it was growing or erupting, it wasn't growing down into the mouth. But that it was must growing... be incredibly painful. Look, more often than not, they're, they're incidental findings. So they don't always cause a lot of pain or yeah, issues. Right. But in this particular case, it was actually starting to grow into the base of the nasal cavity. Sniffing a tooth. Yeah. Wow. How odd. And did you? Did, how how old was like? Is this something that's discovered at birth, or when you're like in your twenties or your thirties, or why would you find this out? Or is it because the person had nasal problems that they found it? Well, it was actually a, a patient we were in the process of planning orthodontic treatment for, and as part of our routine. Uh, sort of record-taking process, we take a number of different x-rays to look at exactly what the teeth are doing, uh, give us an idea of uh, what, what sort of uh, processes we may need as part of the treatment. And in this mm. case, it was a, an incidental finding. But, you know, it, it so is... incredible. the unaffected? Uh, the patient was un- unaffected and had no idea. Really? Yeah. Do so it's like can... a narwhal. So did you remove it? Uh, look, in, in, in this case, uh, we didn't just yet, because sometimes with these things, you've also got to weigh up the, the, the risks of going mm. in there to mm-hmm. remove something that's not an issue versus the benefits. And so at this stage, in this particular case, it's something we elected to monitor. And when I say we, this was in, in consultation with a, a maxillofacial surgeon, mm. as well as with a, an ENT surgeon. It's interesting how you can get just that deviation of where things pop up in the body. I recently saw a patient who had developed all of her baby teeth come through. They had been completely normal. And then as her adult teeth came through, 
basically from her canine's back, they never erupted and they stayed inside the bone of her jaw mm. and she actually had to have a surgery because they just never popped out. Yeah. And she was 21 before she had teeth at the back. Gosh. That's a, that's incredibly challenging to manage. And uh, one of the, I mean, there's more and more research being done on these sorts of things these days. And uh, one of the conditions that can cause that is often referred to as primary failure of eruption. And when that happens, uh, basically some of the, some or many of the teeth in one segment of the mouth may start to come through and then suddenly just stop for reasons we don't fully understand. Mm. And often it can be quite challenging because in some cases, no matter what we do, we can't actually bring those teeth through. Mm. Or sometimes they may start to come through and then just absolutely stop. So it can pose some very significant challenges for us to manage, but it can create quite a a difficulty for the patients as well because from a functional standpoint it can really affect their ability to bite, chew and uh, really function. I mean they do say the teeth are the barometer of the body don't they that your your teeth and gum health uh, predict how well the rest of you is faring. Is there not a relationship between gum disease and heart disease? Well absolutely absolutely there are and and there's been more and more research being done on that over the years and uh, you know, there have been some studies even looking at the the links between gum disease and things like diabetes and diabetic control. And I mean, like with anything, it's it's not so much a, a case of you know correlation isn't causation, but there there is a relationship between the control of gum disease and perhaps the risk of heart disease and the ability to. Uh, control diabetes. So uh, it, it can sometimes be a bit of a two-way street. And I think the other thing is that the point we would like to make about this show is dentists are more than just teeth. They really are oral health in general. And I have to have a shout out to my dentist because I love him dearly. And when I... And, and the kind of way that your husband doesn't mind hearing you yeah, say. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we have a very you know, special relationship. Shout out to you. Um, and he... During my pregnancy, I was getting shocking reflux and I went and saw my dentist and he told me, yep, what you're feeling, because I had these very odd, hard things that I could feel on my soft palate. I know, everyone's going, you've got too many stories of weird stuff. (laughs) Oh, no, you've got teeth growing in your palate. (laughs) Well, yeah. But no, I had burnt calluses into the roof of my mouth with how bad my reflux had gotten. And I didn't even know that was a possibility. So the vascular structures Mm. of my palate had had calcified to protect against the acid reflux. And I was blown away that that was even a possibility. But there's so many things, like even tongue health is a really big thing that people don't take into consideration. Do people come to see you for their tongue? Look, very rarely these days. Very rarely these days in orthodontics. But look, certainly can be can be an issue and something to be mindful of. And even with tongues, one of the the interesting things that we that I, I came across at one point was a thing called uh, uh, migratory glossitis, where the the surface of the tongue uh, and the structures in the tongue sort of change over time, and it almost looks like there's sort of patterns forming on the surface of the tongue, and that can be quite a uh, quite concerning to people sometimes, but it's more often than not just a, a benign thing which doesn't doesn't 
cause mm. any major issues. Yeah, my fiance has a condition called um, geographic tongue. Geographic tongue, yeah. exactly yeah. right. And it it looks so odd. It basically the best way I can describe it, it's like a shag pile carpet that's had some small creature oh. rummage through the bits. <laughs> oh, but it's bit... completely benign. Like oh, it's no issue. Goodness. He can taste within reason. Depends how good my cooking is that day. <laughs> but, but everything's fine. But it looks so odd. It's amazing. So what he didn't the body show you does. that on the first date. Yeah, no. <laughs> This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. Triple R is listener supported radio and receives no direct government funding. If you would like to financially support Triple R by donating or becoming a subscriber, hit up rrr.org.au to find out how. We've just had a very quick chat in the studio with Dr. Raul. He has brought up a condition which I had never heard of called cheerleader's jaw. Please explain. Well, that's a, it's a fairly rare uh, condition. Uh, it's sort of known or often been described as cheerleader syndrome or more technically idiopathic uh, condylar resorption. And it's called cheerleader syndrome because quite often the, the main sort of presentations tend to be in uh, females around the onset or soon after the onset of puberty. And again, it's one of those conditions which is fairly fairly poorly understood and there's still a lot of research being done into uh, understanding the etiology of it. But uh, essentially what happens is uh, the condyles, which are the, the part of the mandible of the lower jaw that articulate uh, the lower jaw to the, the rest of the skull spontaneously start to resorb or dissolve away or are essentially eaten away by the body. Now, we, we don't really entirely understand why this happens. It is uh, exceedingly rare to see it happen. But when it does happen over time, and, and it's more often than not a, a, a painless sort of process as it's occurring, and some people it can can be symptomatic, but often painless. And over time, uh, people notice changes in their bites. Their lower jaw can sometimes start to drop backwards a little bit and their bite can open up. And when I say their bite can open up, I mean the overlap or the vertical overlap between their top and bottom teeth can start to reduce to the point where there isn't any contact anymore. And it, it is a strange thing. And often often it can be self-limiting in the sense that the process will eventually stop by itself, but we don't always know when. So it's the sort of thing that may be monitored for some time. And in terms of how that's managed or corrected, uh, often depends on the, the severity of it and the severity of the changes to the jaw position and to the bite. And so quite often something like that may involve uh, treatment with braces along with uh, jaw surgery to reposition the jaws and uh, recorrect the bite. And in more severe cases where there has been quite severe destruction of the joint, it may even involve a total replacement of one or both joints. So it is quite an unusual thing, but something something I thought may be of interest. Yeah, I think people don't realise that the, the joint of the jaw, which sits just in front of the ear, it's quite a complex joint. I actually liken it quite similarly to the knee because it has a little disc that sits in between it and even though it doesn't move quite as much as the knee, basically it, it opens and it shuts, which is very similar to the knee. And it's it's a really complex joint, but it's so tiny, but so much of our life actually depends on it. Being able to 
if you've ever had jaw pain, not being able to open your mouth completely, not being able to put a fork in your mouth, not being able to eat a banana, not being able to say certain words, feeling like your tongue is too big for your mouth. It's it's amazing all the things that can happen when just this one little joint can get disrupted. Isn't that the case with so many parts of our body? Like we were talking before about the little toe and um, you know so many things that we don't even think about them and then suddenly until they don't work and we suddenly realize how important they are and and how often we take them for granted yes yes so shout out to all of the little parts of our bodies (laughs) that we all take for granted and we should all think about a little bit more carefully it's like um you know anita roddick who who founded the body shop and she once said if you think you can't make a difference think about that lone mosquito yeah. And the difference they make. And it's a bit like the parts of the body, if, you know, the difference that every single little thing makes. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I think one of the things that always blows me away is there is the weird and wonderful of the body. And if you ever think that you've seen it all, you absolutely <laughs> haven't. There's always going to be something new that comes through your door as a treating clinician. You know, myself as a physio, podiatry and dentist, we're considered primary healthcare professionals. We see people who can walk off the street and see us. And so you just never know what's going to come through your door day in, day out. There's always something weird and wonderful because the body is very unique. We might have a set of rules, but it always changes. Mm. Yeah. So, Raul, have you seen – I'm curious if you see differences in uh, – or, or, or maybe not so much yourself – um, because you're a lot younger, but changes with diet and changes with environment and changes to dental health, which is not necessarily weird and wonderful, but I just think it's quite interesting. Oh, absolutely. I think, um, you know, historically, if you if you look at uh, things like the, the prevalence, uh, incidence and prevalence of things like tooth decay, for example, uh, historically over the years since uh, the advent of fluoridation in the water, that's something that's made a, a very significant uh, difference. And in more recent years... Uh, one of the things that can make quite a, a significant uh, difference to the health of teeth is uh, consumption of uh, acidic drinks, uh, acidic drinks such as soft drinks, uh, energy drinks and things like that. Even if they don't have sugar in them, they are very, very acidic and if uh, consumed in high frequency, they can still do uh, quite significant damage to the teeth by way of uh, dental erosion where they uh, chemically erode away at the enamel and uh, cause structural loss and damage to the teeth, even though it's not uh, tooth decay. So that's something interesting to bear in mind. And again, something that uh, isn't often initially thought about because sometimes people think, oh, I'm I'm having a sugar-free soft drink, so this is probably better for my teeth. I have to say that's what I often hear. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. I have a question for you. As a mother of a teething infant, (laughs) how much does childhood teeth or baby teeth predict your adult tooth position and health and all of those kinds of things? It's a hard thing to to say specifically, but one thing I will say is if there are any particular anomalies uh, in terms of the size, shape, position of the baby teeth, quite often there may be similar things in the permanent teeth. Mm. But having said that, it's also not unusual at all for us to see cases where uh, kids have a perfect set of teeth uh, in childhood and then as the permanent teeth start to come through, there are more issues in terms of the the number, size, position. And sometimes we see cases of people having a full set of uh, their deciduous or their baby teeth present and then as the permanent teeth come through, 
you realize that there are a couple of them just hanging in there and then you go in there and you take an x-ray and you realize that a, a permanent successor tooth hasn't actually developed underneath them. Mm. So that's also something to bear in mind. I heard a case um, of, which I thought was so odd, there was a baby that was born with a complete mouth of teeth, like popped out with a full set and they actually had a second row of baby teeth that came through. So they had to lose a whole bunch of teeth before their sure. baby teeth came in. I was like, that's wow. why. That is, that is definitely that's even news very to you. unusual. That's yeah. news to me. I thought that was so odd and I, I was shocked. But tell me if I'm I wrong. I bet the mum was shocked too Did when they were breastfeeding. Yeah. Oh, feeding would, would have been a challenge. Yes, feeding with a teething uh, eight-month-old is, is challenging. Yeah. Someone told me that I, and I'd, I'm clinging to this with all of my might because <laughs> my daughter teethed at three months and we are currently at eight teeth and she's getting her molars at eight months old. That if you teeth early, it's a sign of future intelligence, and I am <laughs> holding on to it because <laughs> that's all I've got to go on. Intelligence, charm, charisma, personality, like everything. There's something yeah. quite cute about a four-month-old with little bunny rabbit yeah. <laughs> for the father. Yeah. yeah, there you go. So we are on um, radiotherapy, and we are wrapping up towards we, today. We've we had are. some more subscribers, do, I believe. We do. We I have a couple. I have um, a few names to share with you all, and with great gratitude. Don't forget that it's triplear.org.au is where you go to subscribe. We're in that um, subscribing phase of um, our annual show, and we have Phil Howells from Williamstown. Uh, respect the Rock. Thank you, Phil. And um, we've got M Baker, M's from Williamstown North, and she is a passionate subscriber we love passion thank you and remember until your until the uh, 4th of October this year if you do subscribe you are in the running for some of the prizes for our Radiothon that is true yeah that is true so there's some fabulous prizes out there so I I highly recommend you jumping on our website and having a little look and thinking about subscribing because there's some benefits to doing it (laughs) there is it's radio with benefits yeah yeah, and we have uh, Madeline Peachy. Thank you, Madeline from Clifton Hill. And um, that's a radiotherapy subscription, so oh. that is nice. And Monica Rowland from Camberwell. So, yeah, thanks, guys. Um, you know, it's always it's always good to know that you're out there. We really appreciate it. Yeah. We are wrapping up. You are with Miss Perineum, Cyber Sue, Tim Thorpe. Thank you, Tim. Beautiful Tim. Yeah, so we wouldn't we- run the world wouldn't run without Tim. Yeah. We've had Dr. Raul and John in the studio with us talking all things teeth and feet, all things weird and wonderful that the body can do. Who never knew? But shout out to everyone. Go yeah. and get your feet, go and get your teeth checked. And your eyes and, and everything you, else. Yeah. Look after yourself until next week. Enjoy the spring. Hi, this is Panel Beater. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Radiotherapy, a weekly radio show dedicated to health, medicine and well-being, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Sunday. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. Feel free to get in touch with us via Radiotherapy's Facebook page.